0: Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. It is great to be with you. Pastor Brandon here, if we've not met. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're back a second time, so glad that you're here. Welcome back. Trust that you'll be encouraged uh, as we as we dive into the scripture today this is actually an extension we we continue our our theme this summer but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves out of James 1:22 and so we decided at the beginning of the summer uh, in order to do this, let's go ahead and study a couple of books of the Bible, some of Paul's earliest letters, Galatians and First Thessalonians, probably 1 and 2 in order, very early uh, writings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, so we just finished Galatians last week and we begin First Thessalonians today, which is really not a book. We call it a book of the Bible, but I, I want you to think about this. This is actually an ancient letter that that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica that he could have. He, he just would never have thought in his mind as he's writing it to his friends uh, that this would be studied 2,000 years later by us as part of a sacred text that we call the Bible. What, a, what an amazing thought. The background of First and Second Thessalonians, uh, we, we can find it in the story in Acts chapter 17. And so the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey went through Thessalonica, And he began to preach the gospel. The Bible says that he reasoned with them for three Sabbaths. So we could say he was there for maybe three weeks, uh, maybe up to a month, but it was a relatively short period of time. Uh, Thessalonica is a a city of about 200,000 and so a bustling city uh, in in those days. So you could imagine maybe a little bit larger than even Eugene. And so this was no small town. It was no small city. A a lot of people, especially in Paul's day, and it was situated almost dead center on a road that you can see ruins of today. In fact, people still travel it. You can find pictures of it called the Via Ignatia. And it's an extension of the old Appian Highway that Came out of Rome. Essentially, what it did strategically is connect uh, the west to the east in the Roman Empire. And situated almost right in the center was was this beautiful city called Thessalonica. Wonderful port. It was a strategic uh, strategic city uh, colony in the Roman Empire. And so Paul visits this. He you know he receives the Macedonian call and he and he heads to you know uh, Macedonia and he he winds up in. Thessalonica begins to preach the gospel, but there were some who not only received the word and joined Paul, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, but there were some who were jealous and they were tired of Paul's message. And what they did is they essentially hired some muscle that Acts 17 describes this way, some wicked men of the rabble. That's interesting. How about this? The message says it this way. A bunch of brawlers off the streets. Uh, And I I love how the old King James puts it sometimes. Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Uh, Do Your kids come home. Who talks like that? Kids come home and they're dealing with a bully. Yeah, mom, dad, it was, you know, I had a rough time with certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. And their main argument was this. Because they were jealous of Paul, they're like, okay, what rumor could we start? One of the rumors was this guy is stirring up dissension he's preaching essentially another caesar a different caesar the guy's name is jesus but it's in direct competition with you know you know caesar augustus or or, or the, the leaders of the roman empire and we know that that'll get paul in trouble so let's stir the crowd up that way and these uh, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort essentially what they did is they um they went and kicked down the door where paul was staying a guy named jason uh, he and they were looking for Paul and Silas. They didn't find, find Paul and Silas. So they dragged Jason out, him and his comrades, and they, they put him on trial and they, put, posted, they had to post heavy bail in order to get away. And while all of that was happening, Paul's handlers, if you will, uh, kind of snuck him out in the middle of the night down to the next town called Berea. What's interesting is these Lewd fellows of the baser sort chased Paul to Berea. He has to leave Berea. He goes down to Athens and eventually lands at a place called Corinth. Uh, I think we know well because of First and Second Corinthians, where Paul stays for about two years. What's interesting is the Apostle Paul is. Why did he write the letter to the church at Thessalonica? He's concerned about them. He only spent about three weeks, maybe a month with them. And he's wondering if this brand new church, these brand new believers, are they going to make it? What happened to them amidst all of this persecution? Well, he sends some of his friends, some of his travel companions back. He said, listen, you go back. I can't go back there because they'll kill me. My, my life is under threat. They probably won't recognize you. And so head back to Thessalonica and bring me back report. Well, by the time they bring back report, they find Paul. He's finally landed in Corinth and he he settles down. He stays there for a couple of years. So they're able to catch up with him And, and they bring him back report. And they're like, Paul, they're actually doing well amidst the persecution. Their faith is strong. The church is still going. Um, they, but they have some questions. They have some questions about what you taught them, and you had to leave so soon. You, essentially, it would seem, based on the letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul was interrupted in his teachings, and he, and he couldn't really give a, a full and robust teaching on what he wanted to teach. So, what are the themes? The themes in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, especially 1st Thessalonians, would be relief. It would be thanksgiving. We find in Paul kind of a shepherd, the the pastoral Paul, not just the teacher Paul, not just the brilliant, complex theological mind, but we find in the Apostle Paul a shepherd who's concerned about the sheep. He wanted to know uh, what was going on with this new kind of brand new fledgling church. And he's so relieved when he hears, hey, They've made it, and, and I, we think they're, they're going to make it. So he sits down and he writes this letter of thanksgiving and relief and encouragement. We find the nature of the gospel in 1 Thessalonians as, as a theme. And we also find another one that it's probably most famous for, First and Second Thessalonians, for eschatology or the eschaton or the, the, the study of the end times or the second coming of Jesus. And, and while it, it does take a central place, it, it is a heavy theme. It's not the only theme, as we'll see. Some theologians have kind of as ways to look at first and second Thessalonians. They were probably written within months of one another, probably no more than a year, it would seem. But we could look at the gathering of the church, first Thessalonians, the gloominess of the tribulation, second Thessalonians, the day of Christ, first Thessalonians, the day of the Lord, second Thessalonians. How about this? The return of Christ coming for his church, first Thessalonians, the retribution of Christ, if you will, coming with his church and second Thessalonians. And there's enough kind of eschatology, this, this um, study or language of the second coming of Jesus that it would indicate to us that that was one of the main themes that the Apostle Paul was talking about when he was with the church. At Thessalonica, and and he had to leave so quickly. Uh, w- we can surmise that they, it just left them with questions. In fact, some of them, uh, as we read First and Second Thessalonians, actually quit their jobs. Like Jesus is coming back like tomorrow or next week, so I'll just quit my job and kick my feet up and wait for Jesus to come back. And the Apostle Paul actually actually had to admonish people: uh, You need to get back to work. I, you know, I talked about the second coming of Jesus that it was going to happen, not when necessarily it's going to happen. Some scholars, um, some theologians conjecture that in fact, one in four verses, if you were to total them up between first and second Thessalonians, allude to at least uh, the second coming of Jesus. I haven't totaled those up, but what I can say is all three chapters in second Thessalonians at least allude to the second coming of Jesus and all five chapters in first Thessalonians end, Isn't, isn't that interesting, ends with either an explicit or implicit reference to the second coming of Jesus. In fact, let me show that to you. For they themselves, let's go to chapter one of 1 Thessalonians. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. Let's skip to chapter two. It ends this way. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Here it is. Before our Lord Jesus had his coming. Skip ahead to chapter three, it ends this way. Now, may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God the Father. Here it is, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Skip ahead to chapter four, the Apostle Paul ends it chapter four this way. For this we declare to you, By a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And finally, in chapter five, it ends this way. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Here it is at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the title uh, of my message today is this, The Transmission of the Gospel. I'll hit that word gospel in a second. The Transmission of the Gospel. And the big idea that I want to interact with shortly is this, the transmission of the gospel occurs when it echoes to you and then through you. The transmission of the gospel, how it spread, the transmission of the gospel occurs when it echoes to you and then through you let's define the gospel if we can Um, this is i want to present a definition not the only definition in fact i would concede that we've presented uh from from the stage among our pastors varying definitions of the gospel i don't think any one of them uh are are necessarily entirely correct in other words what i mean by that is they're not the only definition. So Pastor Scott McKnight, uh, who's a New Testament scholar in his book, The King Jesus Gospel, defines the gospel this way. The gospel is to announce good news about key events in the life of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me say that one more time. The gospel is, or, or gospeling, or to gospel, is to announce the good news That's what that word means, gospel, to announce the good news about key events in the life of Jesus Christ. Hear me, Cove Church, not just the cross, though that's important, and not just the resurrection, though that's the linchpin of our faith, but also his fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, his teachings, his miracles, his second coming, stories about his transforming work in our lives and more. This is what it means to gospel. So we come to Chapter one, let's read it together. These 10 short verses, the apostle Paul leads in this way. He says, Paul, Sylvanus, or Silas, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, his traveling companions, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, grace and peace to you. Grace to you and peace. What's interesting there is he gives kind of a Gentile Greek greeting, grace, and pulls in a Jewish greeting, Shalom. I love that he pulls two cultures together just in his greeting. He says this in verse two, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and father, your work of faith. Listen to this, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Look at it. Faith, hope, and love in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you. There it is. It came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you become imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Boy, there's a tension there. We could preach that for a couple of weeks. Look at verse seven. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord here it is sounded forth from you. So it came to you, but it also sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith has Uh, gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Let me pause right there for a second. This is an amazing thought. The apostle Paul says, listen, as we travel around, we don't even have to tell your story. People tell our story and your story back to us. Essentially people walking up to the apostle Paul saying, listen, Hey, have you heard this guy named Paul? He was preaching this message in a place called Thessalonica. It actually changed the city, changed their lives, transformed their lives. And Paul's like, I'm the guy. You're telling me my story. What an amazing thought. Verse 10, he ends this way. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Cove Church, there's so much I could say in these 10 short verses of chapter one. So so, so condensed and so packed, but I, but I had to set, I wanted to give you a history. I had to set the letter up today. So my time is short, but I want to interact and unpack our big idea today. Notice the word sounded forth a little Greek word in the new Testament, uh, a little phrase that means to sound out. It's to ring out. Um, it, it sounds a lot like our word echo. In fact, where we would derive our word echo. So uh, some fun facts uh, uh, about echoes from the internet. And we all know that the internet is always correct. Uh, we'll start with probably some things you already know. They occur when sound waves strike a hard, smooth surface and bend back. Okay? Some rough surfaces tend to break up sound waves. Some places, I don't know if you knew this or not, some places on earth are famous for their echoes. One such place is in Ireland uh, where they counted a hundred echoes. Who's they? official echo counters they counted a hundred echoes from one bugle horn note because that's what we do in Ireland we we sound the bugle and we count the echoes how about this true or false uh true or false the quack of a duck does not echo that, again, according to the internet, which is always correct, is false. It's a myth. Uh, it actually does. We just can't hear it. And finally, uh, if you plan to do some of your own scientific echo testing, the internet says that you need to stand back about 50 or 60 feet from the wall that you're clapping at or shouting at or bugling at. Otherwise, the echo gets mixed up in the original sound. So, go Church, there you go. Please don't say you didn't learn anything in church today. Paul goes on, moving on quickly. Paul goes on. He says, listen, the gospel sounded forth from you, but first he says, it came to you and it came to you in some specific ways. It came to you in word. It came to you in power. It came to you in the Holy Spirit. And it came to you full of conviction. The gospel we preach, the good news about the events of the life of Jesus. It came to you Thessalonians, it came to you and it did something in you. It changed you. It convicted you. It encouraged you. It transformed your life. The Spirit of God did something with the words of the good news. It echoed to you. It came to you. Uh, I, I, When I was in middle school, I had a, a friend I was a kind of a church rat. I was raised in church, caused all kind of tr- trouble, probably some things that I, I'll need to repent of. Um, maybe now, or maybe in heaven, I, I don't know, but I had a buddy. His name was Phil and his older brother was a little older about a year and a half. His name was Jason. We were just bosom buddies. We were, we were together all the time um, throughout the week. We would spend nights on end at one another's homes and we would just kind of run around and terrorize the church, even though we, Love Jesus. And, um, so my, my, my friend, boy, lots of stories there that are rolling through my brain. When I was in middle school, it was at Christmas time, and my friend Phil, we, we always did this thing in church, smaller community church, where we did an annual candlelight carol sing. Essentially, uh, it was this, we would read and sing our way through scripture and, and in song through the birth narrative of Jesus. And one particular Christmas, this was on Christmas Eve. Um, it, we, we were done and um, I went to find backstage. I went to find my, my friend Phil and we were probably going to cause some havoc. And he was sobbing. He was crying. He, he, he could barely catch his breath. He was having a hard time looking me in the eye. And I was like, dude, what's going on? And, and I tried to get his attention. He tried to talk. I said, Phil, what, what has happened? And he just, he kept kind of pointing out to the auditorium, to the sanctuary. He said, Brandon, that song, that that I, I just, something happened in that song. We, we had sung, um, it was a little bit of a newer song, but it was something about the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus and his life. And the Holy Spirit used it to transform something. And my friend, he could barely catch his breath. Something had changed. Something in the message, the gospel had echoed loud and clear in him and it changed him. Paul then says this, it sounded forth from you. That word sounded forth. Uh, Like I said, it it only occurs one time in scripture. It's it's an interesting one where we would get our word echo. It was never meant, church, listen, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus was never meant to dead end with us. This good news that, that hit us, it was designed and is designed to actually go out. It's commanded to sound forth and to echo, not just to us, but from us, as well. Church, let me let me um, let me paint a picture. Let's just say, if you will, imagine this in your head, that we had an unlimited budget. You know, generosity uh, multiplies capacity, and that is true. But let's just say that we just had an un- endless supply of money, and we're able to go out and rent, you know, a fifty thousand seat auditorium. I think Atson seats somewhere close to that and we were able to do evangelistic crusades every night of the week 365 for 35 years that would be amazing rent it out pack it out and let's imagine that every night for 35 years that a thousand people got saved a thousand people were we were able to do just the most incredible worship the best speakers evangelistic speakers and a thousand people every night would come to jesus do you know, if you do the math, do you know that you would actually be further behind world evangelization than when you started 35 years earlier? Pastor Brown? how can you say that? It's the birth rate. We would never be able to keep up with the birth rate, to which all of us would say, that's about as depressing news as I've heard all week. Pastor Brown, why would you bring that up? Because I want to turn the tables on us. Now let's say that you, my friend, that the gospel has echoed too are the only Christ follower on planet earth among 7 billion people. And you decide, okay, this year I'm going to pray and I'm going to commit to leading. I'm going to share the gospel with as many people as it takes in order to lead one person just in this year to Jesus. And you get to the end of that year and by God's grace, you're able to lead one other person to Jesus. And at the end of that year, you high five your friend and you say, listen, you don't know this, but I actually prayed for you all year long. I had a bunch of people tell me to get lost, but you responded to the gospel. And so we together, what do you think? We're going to pray again. We're going to commit to one another and to the Lord, especially that we're going to share the gospel until we're each able to lead just one other person to the Lord. And we get to the end of that year and the four of them are fist bumping and high fiving. Hey, let's do it again. And at the end of the next year, there's eight friends. Listen, do you know at the end of 35 years, you would have to search high and low to find someone who was not a Christ follower? The good news of Jesus was never meant to be shared necessarily from only a platform to wide swaths of people. It's designed to echo to you and your life, and to echo from your life—not just your pastor, not just your preacher, not just the from the super spiritual friend that you know, but from you. We talk about this in rooted. We have rooted coming up. We talk about this gospel that has echoed to our lives, that has rung in our spirit, and is transforming us. We talk about. What does that mean for your story, where you've come from, and what Jesus has done in your life, and how do you share it? Come, church, listen. The gospel is far more powerful than we can imagine, and it lasts longer than we could ever dream. It's more than just words. And if we'll simply be obedient and risk sharing it, it will transform lives. What could happen? Friends, what could happen in just three short weeks? What could happen, for instance, in the three or four remaining weeks that we have left of the summer until our summer ends, sadly, on September 21st? What could happen in your life, in your community, in your marriage, in your work, your coworkers, in just three short weeks? Friends, Paul spent three weeks, three Sabbaths, reasoning with them in the synagogue, and it changed that entire community. Those, Acts 17 says this, I want to remind us of this. Those who have turned the world upside down, that was the accusation against Paul. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here to what could happen in just three short weeks. I remember um, talking about the power of the gospel echoing out from our lives. I remember when I was, probably a sophomore in high school. I've shared this story before in a couple of different ways, and, um, but, I, but I boldly share it again because it's so challenging and convicting to me. It's, it's just such a reminder to me about evangelism, about, about personal evangelism, about sharing the story from my heart and from my life with other people. Uh, I, was, I was at a basketball camp and some of my buddies from the high school that I attended were there. It was a, it was a summer. It was a Christian basketball camp in Eastern Washington. And um, the camp was set up such that the, the cabins were kind of in a circle in a big field. And in the middle of the field was this kind of bathhouse where you'd, you know, ch- change and t- take a shower and, you know, use a toilet sink, that sort of thing. So we we're getting ready for bed one night. My buddy, his name is Ryan. He's standing next to me, kind of shoulder to shoulder. And we're yucking it up, brushing our teeth. And he kind of slapped me on the shoulder and said, I'll see you back at the cabin. And he got about 15 steps on me. And my... my I. The Holy Spirit, I'm a sophomore in high school trying to get my life back on track with Jesus. And I heard the Spirit of God say, I want you to go share the gospel with him. I want you to go witness to him. I want, essentially, I want you to go share about me with your friend Ryan, to which I just, it's like, well, he he's gonna be there in hundred yards. We're going to bed. How am I supposed to do this in like two minutes? But all I knew is I needed to leave right then and there. So I I tucked everything in, you know, my my little travel bag and I ran out to catch up with him, Cove Church. And as I hit the last few strides, what I remember as clear as if it was yesterday, when I hit that last last stride, what spilled out of my mouth was this. I had no idea what I was going to say. What spilled out of my mouth and out of my heart was this. Ryan, tell me what you believe about God. Friends, I'm not that bright. I, I could have never come up with that question or kind of discussion starter, but it kicked wide open the door for the gospel to echo from my life into the life of my friend. The next night, there was an altar call. There was a message about Jesus in an altar call, and my, I don't even remember what I shared about Jesus. I don't. It, it certainly was that not that articulate. It was fractured and broken, but God used it. And I remember I wasn't even sitting next to my friend. He was clear on the other side of the auditorium. He gets up in response to the altar call and walks down, kind of that slow walk down to the altar to respond boldly. A room, probably 400 young high school men. And he decided in front of all of us, I am going to follow Jesus. The gospel is powerful in tribulation and persecution and sickness in a global pandemic out of the mouth of some broken high school student who's trying to get their life back on track with Jesus. The gospel is powerful and it changes lives and it echoes to us and then it echoes from us. So, Coach Church, I want to pray for just a couple of groups of people. The first would be those who would say, you know, Pastor Brandon, I, I just, something has happened in me tonight as I'm listening or today, as I'm listening. Um, I, I don't know exactly what you said, but something has changed in me. Something has got my attention and I'm realizing I've never crossed the line of faith, but I want to today. I don't fully understand it, but I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to cross the line of faith. There's a, there's a little um, kind of, I raise my hand uh, to commit my life to Jesus down in the lower right hand part of your screen. Would you click that? We just want to know who you are and how we can be praying for you. And I want to lead you in a prayer. In fact, maybe just so you can hear the sound of your own voice, why don't you pray this with me? Jesus, I need you. Today, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And somehow, I believe that you were raised from the dead. I believe this message. I believe the good news that you love me and you gave yourself up for me. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? Thank you that the gospel, the good news has echoed to my life. And would you give me the courage and grace and show me how it can echo from my life. In Jesus' name, amen. In church, the second group of people would be those who would say, you know, Pastor Brandon, just before we kind of sign off, would you, would you pray for me? I just, I'm stirred and I, I just, I want that fire rekindled. Would you, would you pray for courage and that, and that fire to be rekindled, that fire to share my faith, to, 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 to pray and to, and to share the good news of Jesus with other people? My answer to you is yes, I'll pray for you. And specifically, I wanna let you know, I sense the Lord speak to my heart in preparation of this message to pray for a special anointing uh, for timing and creativity, for timing and creativity. Church, listen, I I just knew as I was standing there as a sophomore in high school at that sink that the timing was now. The Holy Spirit said, I want you to go and I want you to go now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. I want you to go share about me right now. And and I had no idea. I'm not the most creative individual. I didn't know what I was going to say. But God gave me this creative question to kick open or crack open the door of a spiritual conversation. So my my prayer is going to be directed as a, a special anointing for timing and creativity, Jesus, for my friends who would say, God, would you just light this fire of evangelism, this commitment for the gospel to echo from my life. Lord, I do, I I pray and declare an anointing over Cove Church, over my friends, a special anointing for timing and creativity to share about you, Jesus the good news of your life, the events of your life, the cross, the resurrection, your teaching, your healing, your love, timing and creativity. In the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Bless you, Cove Church. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.